Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler back here again for another episode of ESEC Lending Insights. And actually, it's season two, episode one this time, as Brooke points out. I am back with the familiar co-hosts, Brooke Gilman and Jim Maroney. And I am coming to you from a new location in beautiful Waitsfield, Vermont, after 21 inches of dump powder, which is amazing. But I didn't get to take advantage of it because of poor visibility and some injuries. So I'm a little sad, but it's still beautiful. It's still great to be here. Jim, what about you? What's going on there? We are very, very busy so far this year. I had a drive yesterday from New York to here, and I listened to podcasts the entire way. And so I got to hear what a real podcast sounds like. Do you feel better or worse about yourself now? I think there's room for improvement here. So if anybody already likes our podcasts, we've got upside. That's good to hear. How about the Peloton? I know in the last conversation that Peloton hadn't gotten much use. Maybe it was a delusion to maybe. I'm with him and I have not seen him appear in the feed for a while. He has excuses, but I'm just saying. Note to self, find a way to unfriend people on Peloton. It does not have dust, Peter, much like you have been accusing me of, but it is not getting the use I had hoped. I came out of the gates firing on all cylinders January 1, but slowed down a little bit since then. I still have hope. Well, it's a dry January for me, so that's yeah. been my New Year's resolution so far. I've been pretty strong. So anyway, what's going on with you, Brooke? You're only about an hour away from me. Yes. So I am in Burlington, Vermont now. I was in Stowe over the weekend and also enjoying the snowfall and the storm. So winter has fully set in and we are enjoying it. We got the kids cross country for the first time this weekend after they downhill every weekend and love that. And my son now has decided that he wants to cross country with putting his downhill skis on his back so that he can use his downhill skis when he comes to a hill while cross country. And so we haven't quite yet explained to him that there are other setups for that. That's like that's called an AT setup. I know. We figure we'll wait however many years before introducing him to that. All right. Well, Jim, as usual, Brooke and I are peppering you here. So I know you're optimistic about this year after a challenging year for spreads last year. Tell us how you see this year shaping up with where we are today. What are the factors today that you think could drive the rest of this year? Why don't I start with a quick recap of 2020, which was kind of a messy at best, mixed signals type year. Obviously, a global pandemic affecting crushing travel and the economy, yet we have the NASDAQ and the Dow and the S&P hitting all-time highs. We had an election, which was very much anticipated as being volatile and bad for the markets. If there was a change in D.C., that didn't happen. We actually rallied quite a bit. After the Senate went Democratic, we had protesters storm the Capitol. We have Bitcoin hitting all-time highs, which is unbelievably confusing to me anyway. Oil, gold all up. Everybody thinks the market is going to continue to go up. Today was the first day I've heard of downgrades of some of the go-go names that we've seen since this all started last March. So Peloton and a handful of other names downgraded by UBS today. So maybe that is the beginning of me becoming right once again, because I have been wrong. I am a bear, I guess, which makes me bullish on sec lending revenue. But I think we are getting to valuation levels where the cheap stocks are 30 times PE. So It's an opportunity, I think, from the short side, or at least from a balanced long-short portfolio to make some money on this side of it. I saw an analysis done by one of the street players over the weekend, and it came out yesterday, and they were looking at the top 30 SEC lending names in 2020, the entire year, 10 per region. 
North America, Europe, and Asia. And when you look at those names for the first time since they've been doing this in two decades, they have more names on that list that have gone up during that last year than down. So meaning hedge funds have gotten it wrong or gotten smoked. So while that is probably good for our investing clients, for the beneficial owners as their portfolios go up, from a second lending revenue standpoint, there's not much alpha there and it also scares away hedge funds. So Tesla's a microcosm of what's been happening. It's exaggerated for sure, but going up 400% since November or whatever it is, and since giving some back. But that was a well-shorted name where we had 100% utilization for years up until the beginning of last year. And now risk management stopping out pretty much every hedge fund and people are losing their seats because of that one name. So I think last year was incredibly confusing, but it leads us to an opportunistic year. I think hitting all-time highs on the market while from a short side, you can't make money as everything goes up at all-time highs. You can continue to go higher, which a lot of people think, but you can also have corrections, which would be healthy, and you can trade those corrections. We still have M&A getting announced. There's another deal announced today, a cash stock deal that's going to have some second lending value. So every single day, whether it's here in Europe, there are names that people want to short, at least on an ARB perspective, which is great. IPOs continue to come. IPOs continue to have lockup expiries in Q1 and Q2 that we think have opportunity. We saw Lemonade come and go in December, still generating good revenue today in January, post lockup, post new supply, it led to more shorts. So still feel pretty optimistic about that. For sure, there will be challenges, but there's a new sheriff in town in DC, and that means that potentially corporate taxes back on the table is going higher. There are a number of folks who think that's the case, think that the writing's on the wall. And so it's better than everybody going one way. It's not a capitulation point. In fact, I don't think there's a capitulation point at all in 2021. I just think it's drifting more towards value on the short side as we've been talking about winners and losers since March. And that will come to bear a good way. It's something we look at is the credit market. So we've been following HYG. All our HYG is out now on loan. 100%. And it was as deep as 1%, one and a quarter percent last week. It's come off now. It's still 50 or 60 bips, but that was GC with 20% utilization six months ago. So it says to me, and our volumes on NGT for corporate bonds is very, very high. So that says a lot to me about default and potential for default and the winners and losers kind of happening next year. And just for people who don't know, can you explain what HYG is real quick? Sorry, yeah, that's the benchmark ETF that tracks high-yield bonds. And so it's the most liquid. There's two HYGs and iShares, and then there's JNK. Those are the tickers. JNK is, I believe, a spider product. Both have pretty good liquidity on the cash side, which leads to high usage for them on the hedging side or the shorting side. Does credit often lead the way, or is that just maybe what could be happening here? If you think about it from the top down, equities will lead the way from a cap structure. And so equities go down first or have pressure on their stock first, and then the bonds have pressure and then the bonds default when the equity. But I think in this case, like I said, this is a very unpredictable, peculiar market where we get mixed messages everywhere. And so while stock is very, very high, credit seems to be under a little bit of pressure. This might be a continuation of what we had last year, which is this market makes no sense. So credit comes first. It's my thought. And in the past, so you just commented that we have all of the HYG supply out and we're also seeing some increase in on loan activity on the corporate bond side. In the past, when HYG has spiked and we've seen a lot out on loan, would you also see the same sort of volume flows on the corporate side or mm -hmm. is that not always the case? Nope. They usually come hand in hand unless it's year end. 
So a lot of times you'll see HYG short in November and December, and that's more seasonal than anything. And so that isn't lockstep with bonds going down or getting shorted. But in this case, it makes sense to me to see them both moving in that direction. So we expected flows to be quite heavy from a borrowing standpoint uh, right out of the gate in January. It hasn't been the case, but it seems very, very busy. I think the locate volume is high. Doesn't always translate into loans and monetization of that inquiry, but it's getting there and it feels very busy. The guys on the desk are very, very busy and we're back to full staff post-holiday here. Average fees seem to be creeping higher. Utilization dipped globally in January, but I think it's a small sample set, so I'm not reading into that. In fact, I just think it's a shift of GC. So going from cash to non-cash or going from on loan with agent lenders to using your internal supply. So still feel pretty bullish. I think it'll be in the front half of this year. We're really getting into earnings season now. And I think if you look at quarter over quarter, as well as year over year comparisons, it's getting hard to justify really bad numbers. So I think the market is going to punish those who miss this quarter, whereas they haven't over the past few quarters. And so that could lead to opportunity as well. And I think increased second lending activity. One thing we talked about, I think recently is the tightness of cash spreads. So if you're a cash lender, you're having a really hard time making any yield right now, given yeah. where LIBOR is and where the cash yields are. Is it therefore a good time to consider more non-cash as an option? And I guess this is a question for you, Brooke. How are you advising or talking to clients about collateral decision-making given tightness in cash spreads? From my perspective, it is getting very difficult to do low margin trades against standard prime yields. The, the spread is so thin, it's almost naturally forcing intrinsic only or specials only programs out of folks who otherwise wouldn't be intrinsic lenders. I'm equities and corps, so really not my forte, but from what our bond guys are telling me, there is no sign of relief there on the yield side. So I would expect it's a great time to consider or look to more balance your portfolio from a collateral perspective. And from a client standpoint, those conversations, the sort of broadening of collateral parameters and increase of collateral flexibility, those conversations are continuing, picking up more momentum. If you hadn't already had success in those conversations with certain clients in the past, I think there's greater reason to have more momentum on those topics now, just given more cash spreads are. And it's also, at least in the U.S. market, a number of years now into this trend of collateral flexibility and a shift towards more non-cash. And there's more beneficial owner examples that others can point to for experience and their expertise on what they consider and how they've shifted their program model to non-cash or to at least accepting a, a mixture of collateral types. So we definitely see more and more lenders headed towards non-cash or at least the willingness to also accept non-cash and to be flexible depending upon where the market is and what borrowers are willing to pledge in exchange for certain assets. So I think we'll see more lenders expand their collateral parameters this year. Definitely, it's a priority, I think, for a number of programs that we work with if they haven't already made that shift in full. Thanks, that makes sense. Jim, anything on the minds of borrowers on their thinking around this year that you think is interesting to our audience, whether they're going to consider bidding on more exclusives, whether they're looking for more structured trades. Is there any theme among the borrowing community? I know there's always the concept of pledge that's hanging out there, but is there anything else that people should know about as far as what's on the borrower's minds right now? 
Yeah, so conversations thus far have been about 2021 budget and wallet for these guys and where they're going to spend it. And so my sense is we have a fairly full auction calendar in the next couple of months. I think it's four in the next 45 days auctions we have. So from what I can tell, they still expect business flow to be brisk and a need to have exclusives in-house is still there and willingness to pay for it is still there. So I think wallet will go towards that this year and certainly you talk about other products like a pledge or CCPs and the like, all those balance sheet management tools from a broker perspective, term structures and various different structures that give them RWA relief. All of that is still at the forefront and important to them. But I think something unique is positioning themselves for high flow, which we don't currently see, but they still feel the need to pay for it and have supply in place across the globe, whether it's in Asia or even in the States here. He's still expecting good participation on the auction side for the coming six months. You were pretty bullish, even though you call yourself a bear all the time, you were pretty bullish on the exclusive activity that we saw in the fourth quarter of last year from our auctions. Are you more so headed now into kind of our 2021 early first half auction season? Or do you feel similar? Yeah, I still think we're going to have a good year from an auction perspective. And so how would you define a good year? It would be broad participation in each auction and year over year improvement on the auction premiums. I have no doubt we're going to see that this year. I haven't found one person in the tier one borrowing community to say they think this year is going to be a dud. You know, unless everybody's wrong, you can just throw me in with them, but I still feel good about it. And going back to our conversation just a moment ago on non-cash, do you think that 2021 will be the year that in the U.S. equity collateral finally gets opened up in terms of the SEC action? So if you didn't ask that, equity collateral in the U.S., yeah, it feels like this is the year. It feels like this is the half where that gets done. I don't know. We've been saying it for so long, and there's a number of pieces that need to fall into place, including SEC ownership of that change. It's a customer rule. And so there's political overhang to that decision. And so who knows, but we are hearing more and more buzz about it and positioning of that. So I was just describing to Peter that capital set aside for various projects, you know, whether it's RWA or it's exclusives, there is allocation and consideration to lifting a 15C3-3. So yeah, it could happen in this first half, but really not going to change when it happens. It'll change who can borrow where, but it's not going to necessarily change who can lend where. So you'll still have 40 acts who are still looking at U.S. treasuries and cash only. So that won't change for another six, nine months after the SEC makes a rule change. So I think net-net, uh, it's probably a 2022 change to the marketplace as opposed to a 2021 activity. But borrowers were certainly, they built infrastructure to work around that. And so do they just throw that infrastructure out, whether they're borrowing and intercompany back, borrowing into their PLC and intercompany back into the US, or if they're using a bank subsidiary to get around the broker-dealer rules, whatever the workaround is, do they just throw out what they've already changed, which is platform and hedge funds in different spots than the US broker-dealer? I don't know. It varies broker to broker, but opportunistic for us, maybe not right at first. There's many who already lend and take equities as collateral and those who can't, that probably doesn't change with an SEC rule change. And I'll ask one other predictive question for the year, but how many new markets, if any, do you think we'll see open and trading this year for us? Uh, One, Saudi Arabia, maybe. But China's the focus. Everybody's going to be working to partner and build infrastructure to facilitate foreign participation on the short side in China. And so that will happen. 
probably next year, but it's also going to suck a lot of the resources this year. It's just such a massive market and opportunity that the first mover gets paid there quite a bit. It's like Russia on steroids when it comes to opportunity being first movers. So there'll be a big focus there, including at ESEC. Are we doing all these predictions so that we can listen to this in a year and you can tell me how wrong I am? We do that every day, Jim. <laughs> we don't true. need to record it for that. <laughs> yes. Great. Well, thanks, Jim. That's great. And, and Brooke, your comments as well. I think maybe we'll wrap it up. And one theme, as Brooke and Jim know, for me in, in this COVID timeframe is celebrating milestones as I turned 50 not a few months back. So celebrating milestones is important, I think, especially in these challenging times. So we at ESEC just celebrated a milestone in that we hit $100 billion in loan balance which is pretty exciting for us. And I think it also is interesting when you compare it to the market in general. Over the last three years, the average market utilization has been maybe up 10%. The big banks that report publicly are less than that, and in some cases down. So ESEC lending is about 110% up over the last three years. So I think that speaks to our model, our clients, and it's been pretty exciting. So hopefully we're going to see some spreads that can match with that on loan balance this year and things will be bright for everyone. So anyway, just wanted to end with that and thank you for tuning in. And as always, please let us know if you have any topics that you want us to cover. If you think anything we're doing is good or bad, we want to hear from you. Anyway, happy new year. And thanks, Brooke and Jim. Enjoy the rest of the day. Absolutely. Talk to you all soon.